Welcome to Starkey Soundbites. I'm Dave Fabry, Starkey's Chief Innovation Officer and the host of this podcast. Uh, it's not often that you get the opportunity to interview a true American hero. Uh, and I don't think that's hyperbole in this case with Justice uh, Alan Page, uh, one of the great, it gives me, it, it, it's hard for me to say this, but I believe it in my heart as one of the greatest uh, football players and uh, a member of the NFL's 100 best players uh, over the first 100 years, um, even though he plays for the arch rival team and teams really, to my Green Bay Packers, um, spending the majority of his career with the Minnesota Vikings, but ending his career with the Chicago Bears. Both uh, uh, have been formidable uh, opponents in the National Football League Conference and in the division that my Packers play in. Justice we'll, Page, we'll forgive, we'll forgive you for being a Packers. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I I uh, went to Lombardi Junior High School, as you know, so I I, I come by it honestly, and uh, and if there is one thing I am, I'm loyal uh, to a fault. This year, it has been especially a challenging one yeah. to follow the Packers, but uh, but I never give up my loyalty to the franchise is more than to the players, but I can tell you that you broke my heart many times in the uh, late 60s and early 1970s when I watched my team. Um, and then the thing I think that's most remarkable is then you went on to an incredible and legendary legal career uh, serving as an associate justice for the Supreme Court of the state of Minnesota. And I wanna really, it's impossible to sort of summarize your remarkable career uh, without taking the entire podcast. And people didn't uh, aren't listening and tuning into this to hear me talk. But uh, I'll try to treat it in a couple different chapters. And so I want to begin first uh, by, um, you, you were born in Canton, Ohio. Yes. Football fans will know that that is the home to the National Football Hall of Fame. And ironically, you literally, uh, my understanding is literally uh, helped lay the foundation for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, and now you are enshrined there. Talk a little bit about growing up in Canton, Ohio, and, and your dreams as a young man, young boy. Well, I um, had the good fortune of growing up with parents who loved me, uh, brothers and sisters who loved me, and cousins had what I would, you know, for me is the only childhood I know. So, mm -hmm. but pretty uneventful, typical, I think, uh, childhood, uh, back in the 1950s for a young black kid, mm -hmm. um, had the good fortune to have parents who understood and valued education. Mm -hmm. and instilled that in me, although I didn't always follow through on it uh, as well as I should have along the way, but eventually it stuck. Mm -hmm. um, started playing football as a ninth grader, mm -hmm. uh, not out of any design, but because my brother had played, I had a cousin who played, they seemed to enjoy it, um, and as it turns out, I had some aptitude for it. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say, yeah. I mean. <laughs> well, 
you know, I was a player who was really good at doing a very few things, mm -hmm. but I could do those things really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and those things were uh, helpful to achieving the, ta the task at hand, which was to, you know, perform on the football field. Did you always play defense? I, in high school, I was an offensive tackle. Okay. Hated it. <laughs> Hated it. But when did you, know, you, did you wait? You, you then attended uh, Notre Dame. Yes. Um, and was that when you switched over to the defensive side of the ball? That was when I became a, a defensive player. You know, I came along at the end of the transition from two-way players. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember we had a, an inner squad game of some sort, and they had me playing both ways. And I thought, how could you do this? Hmm. And I'd done it in high school, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it was at a different level on the collegiate level. And I was just as happy to be done with uh, being an offensive lineman. Okay. And before was it before you went to Notre Dame that you took the construction job working uh, on the team that uh, was working with the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame? It was during the summer. Okay, uh, one of the summers I, I can't remember which one, yeah. but you know, it 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 sounds really important that I worked on the Hall of Fame. I helped construct it, laid the foundation. Yeah. Really, I swept a few floors on one or two occasions. I worked for a company. Most of the work I did um, was at a site in North Canton, Ohio. Okay. They were the, the Hoover Vacuum Company, okay. which was where they were yeah. headquartered at the yeah. time, okay. was building an addition. And, you know, being a laborer, being about as low on the, on the rung as you could be, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time sweeping fresh concrete floors, getting rid of the dust. And I maybe have did that once or twice at the Hall of Fame site also. Yeah. Well, it uh, had to have been humbling those many years later when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame to think about that and, and never forgetting. And I think that's one other thing that characterizes you is you don't forget from where you come and um, along the way. Well, I've, I've had a, a great deal of good fortune. And um, along the way, there have been many people who have contributed to that good fortune. And I just think it, it makes sense that, um, well, as, 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 as a friend of mine once said, when you uh, ride the elevator up to success, you have one responsibility. And that is to send the elevator back down, hmm. not just get off the elevator and go about your business, send it back down for the next one to come up. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. Well, I think your life has been a test testimony to that. And I think that after you had that opportunity to discover that, as in your words, you were good at a few specific things with regards to playing football, that then you had the opportunity to go to Notre Dame, where not only uh, performed very well, you won a national championship, and now you're in the 
uh, the College Football Hall of Fame, um, and then were drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in the first round. Uh, they saw the potential. You became part of the original uh, Purple People Eaters who uh, well, made they, four. Go ahead. They saw the potential, but, you know, I was drafted in the first round. I was their third first round choice. They had three first round picks that year. Okay, I, I they, I'll have. They had three picks, and I was the last one, so <laughs> so I wasn't number one on their list. All right, that's but as uh, it turned out, it it worked out for all of us. Do you know who the two guys were that were taken in front of you? Clint Jones and Gene Washington from Michigan State. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I would say they both had good careers, um, but um, so, your career. Um, with the Vikings appearing in four Super Bowls and, and becoming the first, a trivia question, answer to a trivia question, the first defensive player talking about doing one thing very well, uh, I would argue that you were an edge rusher before there was the definition of an edge rusher with your speed playing right tackle and being able to get in so successfully to the quarterback as part of those purple people eaters were what frustrated so many teams and so many quarterbacks. Uh, and you were the first defensive player to be named uh, MVP for the season, as well as yeah. the defensive player of the year. Yeah. Um, uh, I think only one other player, Lawrence Taylor, uh, subsequently has done that. But how did that feel to be named the, the, the first player to be, there's so many firsts in your life. How, well, I, I, what 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 drives you to that level of success? Your humility on saying you do a, a narrow thing very well, but I see so many firsts in your career. What gave you that drive? Well, I, I think some of it is fear of failure. Hmm. Hmm. Um, just the absolute fear of failure. And uh, fortunately, that fear didn't paralyze me. Yeah, I think what happens with a lot of people is, mm -hmm. you know, I think fear of failure is is natural in all of us, but for some of us, it's paralyzing. And I was fortunate enough to be able to manage to overcome it and mo and have and, it motivate rather than paralyze. Is, was there any specific exactly. things, elements that did you did you ever allow it to paralyze you and a fear that you had to overcome that paralysis to motivate? Oh. Was there any anything that you could think of? Oh, I, I, there are probably more than I want to mention on, okay. on this program, but just thinking back on, you know, I, I talked a little bit about parents who valued education mm -hmm. and my not living up to that potential along the way. Mm -hmm. I think some of that was fear of failure, fear of not being able to perform, fear of, um, being looked at as inadequate. Yeah, so I was just going to go there. You know, imposter syndrome is one of those things where you feel you don't deserve that success. And that's, again, another avenue, another area where paralysis can be because you don't feel like you deserve it, so you just throw up your hands rather than let yeah, it motivate I, you. I didn't have that. Mine wasn't a case of feeling like I didn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. Mine was a case of feeling like I couldn't do it. Hmm. Interesting. And um, being afraid of trying for fear of hmm. uh, for fear of not being able to. Well, the one thing I 
well, one of the things I've learned along the way is that fear becomes self-fulfilling. Yeah. If you're afraid yeah. to cry, you can't, yep. you won't. You, you fulfill that fear. Hmm. And I, I, I've also concluded that the worst case scenario is, so you try and you fail. What's the worst thing that happens? You get to try again, hopefully. You get, you get another again. shot. Yeah. And more importantly, you learn from it. Yes. I think one of the things that we, we people do is we think that being successful, however you want to define it, or winning is what it's all about. And that if you don't win, somehow you have less value. Yeah. But... The reality is that, you know, as, as people, we either grow or mm -hmm. we stagnate. And the only way to grow is to learn. Yeah. And if I've learned a lot more by failing failures than I have from my successes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in fact, in, in my case, you know, the, you, when you when you win, you think it's all because you're strong, smart, whatever it is mm -hmm. um, when you lose you have to reevaluate and think well what what did i do or did i not do mm -hmm. that caused me not to be successful and from that you grow and develop you don't i don't think you grow a whole lot by patting yourself on the back and saying aren't i wonderful yeah yeah the the, the humility with, with without becoming complacent um, uh, and, and, you know, while still letting that feeling like you can't or you're not going to be successful motivate rather than paralyze, um, you know, it, it brings me to the next topic that I want to shift to in that growing up in Canton, uh, I know from your, auto, from your biography that your first thought with that uh, the, the family that had instilled the benefit and value of learning, you wanted to be an attorney at a young age, right? At a very young age. And, um, and, and, and you, you parked that dream when you discovered that football was going to be a, a, a vehicle to enable you to go to Notre Dame and then have this success that anyone would, would you know, desire but then you shifted and went to law school. Explain how you were able to park that original dream of law while you had this football career, only then to take up a, a, a becoming an attorney and eventually a Supreme Court justice later. Well, let me let me let me just talk about my legal journey. Mm -hmm. As a kid, you know, you get to that age, people start asking you what you want to do when you grow up. And growing up in Canton, Ohio, the options for a young black kid were, you know, not all that great. Mm -hmm. um, things went really well. You might find a job in a steel mill. Right. I had an uncle that spent 40 years working in steel mills. And mm -hmm. the one thing that was clear to me, even at a young age, was that the work was dirty. Mm -hmm. It was dangerous. And it was repetitious. Mm -hmm. Three things which, you know weren't high on my list. Mm -hmm. Didn't know any lawyers, mm -hmm. never met one, uh, didn't know what the law was really about. 
but had heard stories about lawyers making lots of money, not working too hard and driving big fancy cars. <laughs> well, in the eight, nine year old mind, when you sure. balance two, it goes straight to big fancy cars, right? Sure. <laughs> um, and the other thing to, to be fair, um, I was eight years old when the United States Supreme Court decided Brown versus the Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And for me, that decision which sounded the death knell for state-sponsored segregation in this country. It sent me the message that the future could be better, that there was this thing called justice, and that the law had the power to uh, provide justice. You know, above the doors of the Supreme Court building in the in in Washington, are the words "equal justice under law." Mm-hmm. That decision for me was shifted the ground. And imagine, I can only imagine. It gave me the sense that fairness could prevail, and that maybe I could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really park the dream or shelve the dream of becoming a lawyer. I just started playing football. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't lose sight of the fact that I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up. Um, played high school football, played college football at Notre Dame. Uh, one of the reasons I chose Notre Dame is because it had the academic reputation that would be beneficial in terms of law school. Mm-hmm. Got drafted by the Vikings um, and actually enrolled at William Mitchell College of Law in 1968, my second year, the start of my second year with the Vikings. Um, and they allowed you to uh, kind of sequence that into the off season or did you were you going to law school during the season well i started it was william mitchell at the time was a night school okay so i started you know playing football practicing during the day and Hmm. i didn't last long by the way (laughs) Uh, the 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 socratic method the the way they teach in law school was something that was new to me Mm I felt like I didn't have a clue what was going on. I was probably the dummy in the group, and I've got this football thing going, and two new, uh, a new baby at home, and all of that. Um, so I dropped out. Eight years later, it was time to go back. Uh, mm-hmm. This time, fully prepared and committed to learning mm-hmm. the law mm-hmm. and understanding how the law worked. Um, first time around, I wasn't prepared or committed to that. Uh, the second time around, I was. And I, you, you will hear law students and lawyers say they hated law school. I loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. It was challenging. It was fun. It, um, you know, it was nine years into my football career, I mentioned repetition earlier, not being high on my list. Well, nine years in, um, 
I was ready for a new a challenge, change and, yeah. and, and, and a new challenge, and, and law school revitalized me. Hmm. Um, and I just, as I say, fell in love with it. Yeah, I was an undergrad at the University of Minnesota. I'm just a little bit younger than you, and I remember that, and um, that um, you uh, graduated from there, went on then to serve. Initially, I think you were in private practice private, a couple of years. Private practice and... uh, for, I don't know, five, six years. Mm-hmm. Went on to the Minnesota Attorney General's office for seven years, I think, mm-hmm. and, and was elected to... Uh, Minnesota Supreme Court. Yeah, and that was usually uh, an appointed role. You were the first uh, to be elected into that role, and then you were reelected, what, three times before? Well, I, I was the first in a few generations. Actually, I'm trying to think in the, in the, at the start of the statehood mm-hmm. and uh, through the first maybe 80 or 90 years. Elections and the selection of judges through election was quite common, hmm. uh, but then it went away. And I was the first one in quite a while uh, who saw an election. And hmm. we have this system that allows for appointments and most judges, uh, both at the appellate level and the trial level in Minnesota are, are appointed. Got it. And, and, and you that. were the first African-American Supreme Court justice in the state of Minnesota. I think, again, state, fulfilling that. History. Yeah. And uh, so uh, thank thank you for your service to the ju- judicial system after. I mean, many people after having this career as a football player would have said, OK, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about repetition and avoiding the mundane and, and wanting a new challenge. But then this was really relighting that challenge that had been lit, that, that inspiration, I guess, that had been lit at a very young age for you to really, as, as a boy growing up during the uh, Brown versus Board of Education era, um, to complete that cycle um, is nothing short of remarkable, in my opinion. Well, you know, I'm, as a person, I'm not one, uh, think about driving a car. Yeah. You can look in the rear view mirror. Mm -hmm. Why do you look there? Because you want to be safe going forward. Mm -hmm. There is a tendency to want to look in the rear view mirror and pat yourself on the back. Mm -hmm. As those of us who have been athletes, you know, we want to look back and say, wasn't I great? That's not me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work for me. And so um, looking forward, what is the next challenge? What is the next thing that I can contribute to? Because as I say, uh, you either grow or you stagnate. Yeah. And for me, looking back, uh, would have been stagnation. Well, I think that's a, a very important statement as well, because our journey together um, has been related to your hearing loss. And, yes. uh, and it's really been over the last year or so um, where I've had the opportunity to both assist you on your hearing journey, but you've taught me some valuable lessons. Uh, many audiologists um, uh, who might be listening to this podcast, um, you know, have grown up over the last four, I've been an audiologist for 40 years this year. 
And many of us have sort of struggled with the fact that there is a stigma associated with hearing loss and the use of hearing aids. And, you know, many, many times I'm engaged in a battle for people to acknowledge that they have hearing difficulties, what that impact is on their life, and to persuade them to use hearing aids is quite a struggle. And right. so when, when we first um, became acquainted, you not only weren't stigmatized by the use of hearing aids, you asked me uh, a, a fundamental question of um, uh, could we not only uh, work on getting you fitted with a new pair of devices, but do you remember what your other first question was of me? I don't. Remind you asked me. if I could make them in an, in an unusual color. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, some people, uh, if you'll recall, my first my answer when you asked that was <laughs> I said I can make them in any color but purple uh, because I'm allergic to the color of purple and it would burn my hands. <laughs> but um, but some people may be surprised to know that your favorite color is blue. And I've never asked you why. Why is your favorite color blue when uh, you did uh, play for the Vikings for 11 years? Well, I, I will be honest with you. My favorite color is actually pink. Oh, okay. But I figured pink might be a little much. <laughs> we could have done that too. Could <laughs> we could have done that, done that too. too. But, but you know, I, you how know, is it? How is it that you wanted to um, sort of say, I, I don't want to try to camouflage hearing aids, but rather um, let the world know that I'm wearing devices that they well, can easily see. First of all, you can't camouflage them. No, no. They're, they're visible. Yeah. So, hey, for me, why worry about it? Maybe if you could, if you really could do a good job of camouflaging them, I would have thought that way. Mm -hmm. But from my vantage point, you can't. So that's number one. Number two, We've come a long way. We've got people walking around with AirPods and who knows what all else in their ears. Mm -hmm. If people can walk around to listen to music and not be self-conscious about it, somebody who needs hearing assistance, mm -hmm. why should we not have the same freedom? I, I don't. It, it, I don't understand that. Completely and, agree with you. And, and finally, um, you know, why not have something that, um, at least in my mind, is stylish? Yeah. Thank you. I, I agree with and, that. Yeah. The blue and, and, ones and, we have, uh, I think, are rather stylish. Might I say, I was reading to a group of uh, second graders. Mm-hmm last actually last monday okay and at the end of the reading we took some pictures and some of the kids were st st i was sitting down and they were standing next to me and one little boy said what's that in your ear and i said it's my hearing aid and he turned his head and said i have hearing aids too and that just made it for me. That's I mean, awesome. You hadn't shared that with me. I love it. Well, it just it literally it just happened. Just happened last yeah. week. You know, to me now, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, uh, 
overstep my bounds here, but I know that you've written four books with your daughter, Cammie, yes. one of which is entitled Alan and the Perfectly Pointy and Possibly Perpendicular Pinky. Yes. And I, I'm thinking perhaps there is a future book for you two that might uh, address something related to re uh, removing barriers and, and opening up opportunities for uh, discussions about hearing loss at any age, because that's a remark. That's awesome story, and I love that that he said that. Well, it it was a special moment. Yeah, this little second grader. Yeah, with his little tiny, you know, behind the ear uh, hearing aid, had a bond. Had a bond. We sh we shared something. That's really and cool. you could. And what was interesting is when he asked the question, one of his friends was there. Mm -hmm. And when I said, it's my hearing aid, both of them said, you know, the, the kid with the hearing aid said, I have a hearing aid too. Mm -hmm. And his buddy said, he wears a hearing aid. Mm -hmm. I mean, it for me, it just couldn't have been better. Well, for me, you just made my day, and that makes my job all all the more worthwhile when we can break down barriers. You know, for me, in many cases, I would say that I presumed that you would want to try to do your best to camouflage devices. And for many people, that's fine, too. And as you said, if you Whatever really could works, do it, it never works right. It never, you try to match it, and it, it never is quite right, and then it just maybe clashes even more. And so then why not? And you really challenged me to just sort of say, why not make them in my my second favorite color? Well, and, I, and I, I wear a lot of blue suits. Okay, yeah. My watch band is blue. Mm -hmm. In fact, my watch, I have an Apple watch that is blue. Mm -hmm. So it all matches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I love it. And, you know, it's for me, um, the idea you mentioned the changes. Uh, when did you first notice that you had a hearing loss? Oh, seven, eight years ago. And, I, and you got your first hearing aids around that time? Maybe a couple of years later. Years later. And was you know, it a I, difficult initially? Were you somewhat hesitant to wear them? No, actually, once it, one of my colleagues uh, on the court who had left the court and gone on to do other things had lunch with her one day, and she mentioned that she had got just gotten hearing aids. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Love it. So I, from that, from that point forward, I was in with uh, both feet, if you will. Love it. And uh, and you're wearing a custom style. You liked that with rechargeable batteries. We fit you with the Evolve AI custom devices. Yeah. So makes it easier getting them in and out. Certainly, we discussed the fact that at the time you were wearing masks, you know, putting them on and taking them off a lot. And we're tired of flinging the hearing aid off of your ears. Um, well, it just it's it. I'll just pull this out. Mm hmm. This is so simple mm -hmm. and so easy to use. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with the, with the uh, rechargeability, with the Bluetooth, um, 
and with with the Bluetooth, I mean, it is it is not unlike wearing AirPods or something like that. Mm-hmm. With the benefit yeah. of they help you to hear. Right, right. They're amplified. They're customizing the audibility for your hearing loss. While right. also, you know, again, I'm biased as well, but uh, I think Serving they look rather stylish. Yeah, and the functionality to be able to stream any audio, even navigation or, or podcasts like this, uh, or yeah. phone calls is great. I, I just, they've really been a, a, a benefit. Well, I, I thank you for taking the time um, to speak with us today about your remarkable journey. I mean, in 2018, you were given the highest civilian award that can be honored uh, to anyone with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And, uh, and, and you know, in, in my opinion, I mean, there's no greater honor and no greater representative, representative of that award than you in the way that you have been driven to, as you mentioned, you know, focus on education, um, excel in not one but two different disciplines and embody this message of access. And, and even now, we didn't even talk much about your education uh, foundation that you formed with your late wife, Diane, uh, that continues to focus on diversity and inclusion for African-American children to ensure that Brown versus Board of Education to this day uh, it guarantees that people will have access to publication, uh, public education. And I thank you for that commitment. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm so in honor of your career and your legacy and your life. Well, thank you, Dave. You know, I, as I said before, I've been fortunate. And I think those of us who have been fortunate, been privileged, have both the obligation, but also the opportunity to do what we can to make the world better for all of us. You know, it was Paul Wellstone that said, we all do better when we all do better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the point if we can't work to help everybody do better. Well, I I think I'll leave it at that. And and I want to thank you for making my life better with the interactions that I've been able to have in working with you. Well, thank you. I've I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. Um, And we're not done yet either. We'll we'll continue to going to work together here. So. Oh, oh, absolutely. (laughs) I, I, I have to say, I, love following your travels i get to i get to tour the world (laughs) well and likewise um me with you because i know you're a proud granddad now you've got four children but you've got grandchildren and i'm expecting my first grandchild in may of next year so you're already teaching me uh how to do that well uh, by me watching um your um, gruber as you refer to it and uh, grandpa uber Grandpa uh, Uber and uh, you know I just it's it's really what it's all about and uh, is is sharing uh, life and and helping each other so thank you for that and and for those uh, listening to the podcast and uh, this episode of uh, Starkey Soundbites appreciate your listening if you enjoyed this episode please like it uh, share it with your friends on your pa- favorite podcast 
Uh, subscribe if you wish so that you're not, not going to miss a single episode. And Honorable Justice Alan Page, thank you for your time today, and I'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Dave. Enjoyed this immensely.